Well, what's going on, everybody? How you guys doing? That's a good worship this morning, ain't it? I'll let you know, my name is A.J. Wright, and I serve as the youth pastor and missions pastor at Connection Church Dublin. And if you've been to any of our churches, you know that our mission is simple. We exist to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. And today, I hope you guys brought your steel toe boots and your bulletproof vest because we're about to get things cranked up. And I told one of you guys, I said, guess what? I said, I, my issue is I speak too fast sometimes. No, my wife, she's a redhead, and she sits on the front row, and, and uh, I tell you, she's a different breed from most other white women, but she, uh, she tells me when to slow down, but a lot of times I ignore her, but they told me, they said, Michael probably speaks as fast as I do, so I think you guys are, yeah, I think you guys are going to be in an info treat today, but uh, his hair just looks a whole lot better than mine, and his pants might be a little tighter too, but we're going to get with it, but here's the deal. Today, we know Christianity, if we know anything about Christianity, it does rest on Jesus' birth, his death and his resurrection. And we just celebrated Easter not too long ago, and we, and we celebrate that resurrection so much. But I want to tell you guys that, that the Bible doesn't stop at the resurrection, that once Jesus rose from the dead, there is now something for us to do. And if anybody knows me, I'm passionate about anything. It's about the mission of God and going and telling people about our Savior. And today, my prayer is that as we go through these scriptures, we're going to be all over the Bible today. And as we go through these scriptures, I pray that God will illuminate the will that he has throughout scripture, that thread that runs throughout all the scripture. Because I've heard so many times, I say, hey, I don't know what God's will is for my life. I'll say, I want here to tell you something. I said, God's will is not lost. This is written in 66 books in the Bible. His will of telling us we have to go and tell people about our Savior that God sent. And he left his home to come and rescue us because he loved us that much. So moving on, we're going to cover the story of the Bible and show you guys this thread that runs through all of Scripture and that this story is the only story that there is. It's the only story that we happen to find ourselves caught up in. God tell people all the time, I said, you are a part of this story where you believe in Jesus or whether you don't. I said, it's going to be a matter of this, at the end of this life, you're either going to be, you, every knee will bow. It's going to be whether you bow as a child of God or you bow as an object of his wrath. But every knee will bow. So we got to make a decision today. What are we going to do? Who are we going to serve? And if we're going to serve him, there are things he has for us to do. We are his soldiers. And one thing I know about the military is when that commanding officer tells you what to do, you got to go do it, don't you? You don't get an option. In this Christian life, I'm tired of people always asking like we have an option. But when I see that great commission, as we're going to talk about today, I want you to understand it is a command and not just a suggestion. Once you come into this, this is part of family business. This is what you are accepted into when you say yes to Jesus. So when I think of the gospel, I think of it gives us three things. It gives us life, it gives us peace, and then lastly, it gives us purpose. So today, we're going to dive into what is that purpose that we're created for. You see, we're all created to glorify God. You're created to know God, make him known, to glorify God. And I like to tell it to my kids all the time. I say, what does it mean to give God glory? Because I think a lot of times we get caught up saying, well, we ought to glorify God, glorify God, glorify God. But what does it truly mean to truly glorify God? And I got a simple definition that even an elementary student can understand. And I tell them, living in a way that makes God famous. Glorifying God means living in a way that makes God famous. So when you're going to work, are you living in a way that makes God famous? When you and your homeboys are hanging out, are you living in a way that makes God famous? When you're looking at your cell phone at night and nobody's around, are we still living in a way that makes God famous? Church, we got to glorify God. So today, let's look into some monumental passages. And I want to show you that before the church ever existed, there was a mission. I tell people all the time, I say, which one existed first, the church or the mission? No, the mission existed first. So that's why the church was created. So let's look at John chapter 20, verse 21. This is going to be, this is only going to be one verse, and we're going to pray, and we're going to get this thing rolling. In verse 20, John 20, 21 says, and again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. He says, I am sending you. Can we pray, church? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for this day. God, we just thank you for this time we get to come to God and just worship your holy name. God, we get to come and dive into your word, God, and worship and praise you, God. God, I pray today we lift your name high. But God, I pray over every seat that is sat in today, God, that you will begin to stir, you begin to anoint, and you begin to open up the hearts and minds of those that are sitting in this, this auditorium today, God. And I pray that as your word is preached today, God, that it will pierce hearts. So Holy Spirit, would you come and would you be with us in, the, in, your, prayer, in, the, in your midst, God? God, we thank Thank you, God. I know I need you. I know without your Holy Spirit, I'm just a motivational speaker at best. So, God, I pray that you will speak through me, God. Move me out of the way. And if there's anything in this sermon that doesn't need to be said, God, would I gladly skip over it? And, God, if there's something in here that you won't say to your people, God, would you download it into my spirit? God, I ask all these things in your precious holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the main point of my sermon today is going to be something simple. 
The main point will be, I want you guys to see God's story. So I'm going to ask a question and feel free to yell out. How many missions verses do you guys know from the Bible? Which one is it? The Great Commission. Anybody got anything else? Anything else other than the Great Commission? Some people will go as far to say Acts 1-8. It says, when the Holy Spirit fell, it said, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But I'm going to show you that this whole Bible here is full of missions verses. It's the whole backbone of this Bible that's supported by. I think of sometimes we look at the, the Bible like a bookshelf with all these books from Genesis to Revelation. All these books are on a bookshelf, and we think of missions as this little pamphlet that sits in the very corner. But I'm here to tell you that missions is the shelf that all those books are held up on because that's the foundation. That's the principle that runs through the Bible. You want to know how my God's a missional God? Because he sent his son Jesus on a mission as well. That's how we know our God's missional. So, that's, so today we're going to start off and going to be in Genesis chapter 1, but I want to tell you something about this book. And like any good book, a book has three parts. It has an introduction, it has a storyline, and it has a conclusion. Well, the introduction of the Bible is going to be Genesis 1 through 11. And after we get through 11, we start Genesis 12, starts the story. And from Genesis 12 through the book of Jude, you have the story. And of course, Revelation is the conclusion. And I'm going to attempt to cover all these scriptures today, a bunch of them. I know, I know Mike preaches for about an hour and 30 minutes, so you'd be good. I'm about a 45-minute guy, so I'll get you out of here on time. But... <laughs> We're going to walk through some monumental passages because there are over 400 mentions of nations in the Bible. So to let you know that God is passionate about some things, and obviously he's passionate about the nations. But I want to show you some things of what God is trying to get us to do. So I want the point number one to be simple. Let's look at the intro, baby. So even in the intro, let's go to chapter 1 of Genesis. Chapter 1, verse 27 through 28. And let's look at what God said. Verses 27 says, it'll be on the screen. It said, so God created mankind in his own image. It says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And look at here. It says, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. It says, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And I believe this verse right here is one that our church in Dublin takes very, very seriously. Be fruitful and multiply. We are busting out the seams at our kid ministry. <laughs> My wife is pregnant again with boy number three. I think you got to have three kids to be a part of Connection Church Dublin. I see you, Dublin. If you listen, I get you. We see you. But I'm here to tell you something else. If God, everything that God created, if it is healthy, it is going to multiply. So, yeah, we're passionate about our kids, but we're not just passionate about having our kids. We're also passionate about, we should be passionate about adopting kids as well. And we multiply in more ways than just kids. Healthy things multiply. If you're in a healthy small group, what should that small group be doing? It should be growing and you identify a leader and you send them off to reach more people in this community. It should multiply. And one thing I want to celebrate with you guys is that you're multiplying into another church. Patrick O'Toole is going to Richmond Hill. And the community that you have here will now be available to the people in Richmond Hill. Healthy things multiply. When you think about a water, when all the water sits in one place, it's stagnant, ain't it? No, church, we got to move. Church is a movement of people, and if you ain't moving, then you're probably not part of the movement. So, church, we have to move. So, seriously, the first thing in this passage, though, going back to the Scripture, what was the first command he gives to Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply. What did he want to do? He wanted his creations to multiply and fill the earth. And just as God created the sun in the creation account, he created the sun so that the sun would shine for him. He created us so that we would shine for God's glory for all among the world and be good stewards of his creation so the world would see. And we know this story, what happens in the story that Adam and Eve, Eve eats the apple, Satan deceived her because she didn't know the word of God and the husband was too passive so he wasn't a man. And then the, the Satan comes in, he tells her, she eats of the apple and now sin has entered the, the cosmos. And we go even further and we know they had two sons, Cain and Abel. We know what happened with that. They both had two sacrifices. Cain's uh, sacrifice wasn't accepted by God. So what did he do? He got jealous of his brother. Instead of going and doing it again, he killed him. And then we see the earth became corrupt. So as we began to multiply, sin began to reign, and there was so much corruption on the earth. So now we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, which will be on the screen. So as the earth began to become corrupt, as we began to multiply, look what happened in Genesis 6. Verse 5 says, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil at that time. It says, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe 
from the face of the earth, the human race I've created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But who found favor in the Lord in the eyes of the Lord? Noah. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So if we know the story, if I can summarize a little bit, God tells Noah to build an ark. So Noah goes to building this ark, and we know there was so much wickedness around. People were just picking on like, bro, it ain't raining in years. And you building a boat? Come on, now. And he continued being faithful to God. He didn't let the voice on the outside become louder than the voice on the inside. And he continued building that boat. But one day, guess what happened? The rain came. And the Bible says it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And it goes even further to say that the springs of the deep burst forth. And it was so much water on the earth that it said it covered it for 150 days. So we know that as he's out there chilling on that boat with his family and all the two pairs of animals that went on there with him, he said that the waters begin to recede. He sends a dove out the door. The dove comes back. He sends it out again, it comes back, he sends it out one last time, and it doesn't come back. And then he knows the water has receded. So finally the boat hits on dry land, and I want to show you what happens. So he, get, he, he hits dry land, they tell him to come out of the ark, and now we're in Genesis 9, and then God makes a covenant with Noah in Genesis 9-1. And I want, to look at what, I want you to look at something right here now, because we've seen it one time before, and we're about to see it again, of what God's purpose is. It says, then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, be fruitful increase in number, and fill the earth. There it is again, the second time. We're only in the book of Genesis, and now we see the same command of God giving us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Man, I'm telling you, when he sent that flood, he was judging the earth, and he was wiping us out. He didn't, that wasn't him abandoning his original purposes. No, as soon as they step off that boat, he picks right back up where he left back off. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So as you begin to see, our God, the God that created us that knows how life works best is serious about multiplication, isn't he? He is serious. And if we're going to be healthy, we're going to multiply. Man, I see that thread. That thread looks good, doesn't it, church? Healthy church, we multiply. Healthy small group, we multiply. If you're in a healthy marriage, probably you're going to multiply, not just out of having kids, but you're probably going to multiply and making more healthy marriages. And people, if, you're, if you're using your marriage to glorify God and people see that and see that example, the only what, the example I had of a, of, of a godly marriage was my parents. <laughs> and the people that were around me that were Christians in the church that loved their wives, and I saw how they loved their wives, and guess what it do? It gave me a toolbox to fill up how I need to love my wife as well. So we are to glorify God in everything that we do. And to finish up the introduction, we're going to go to a famous passage that a lot of you probably know is the Tower of Babel. But I'm going to teach you the Tower of Babel in a whole new light that you probably never heard before. I remember the first time I heard this, and somebody taught me through this when I was discipled. I was like, man, I never even understood this, and now I do. Let's read it together. Genesis 11:1 1 says, and it'll be on the screen, it says, Now the whole world had one language and common speech. As the people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. It says, And they said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And just to give you a, a, a snapshot of what's happening here, there's a reason why they're using tar for mortar. Because they knew that God had flooded the earth. And they knew that they were already rebelling against God's plan anyway because they're doing their own thing. So they were scared that God was probably, they probably heard through the stories that the earth had just got flooded. And tar is something that you use to waterproof materials. So as they're building this, this, this tower, they're trying to waterproof the tower because they're trying to say, God, I know what you possibly can do, but I ain't worried about that. I'm going to make sure you ain't going to do it again. All right? That's what they're saying to God. So it says, then they said, come, let us build a ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. You see the rebellion that's happening right now? He tells them to scatter and fill the earth. They said, let us make a name for ourselves so we will not be scattered over the face of the earth. It says, but the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they're not will understand each other. In verse 8, which is big, says, So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth to all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. So I want you to know, in the scripture, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, guess what direction they went? They went east. When Cain was sent out, guess where he was sent? He was sent to the east. 
And now we see the people who have gathered in Shinar, and guess where it's located at in Babylon? It's located to the east. So anytime you see Babylon in Scripture, it's always symbolic of independence and rebellion from God. So with that nugget out there, because God had a design, and he knew how life works best. In this story, we see the people now have rebelled against God and his plan of scattering them all over the earth to spread his glory. And so we've seen it now. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Travel and make babies. How hard is that? That's what he told them to do, and they couldn't even do it. They couldn't be obedient. And now you see the people are rebelling against his plan. So verse 4, you see, they said to themselves, let us make a name for ourselves and keep us from being scattered over the earth. And if I can give a newsflash to anybody in here, I want you to know this life is not about you. It's not about you. It's about God and what he's done. If you make it about you, you will fall horribly short just as these people did because they're rebelling against God's plan. And the people in Babylonia, what they wanted was independence from God. And if we can be honest with ourselves, many of us are living our lives in the same way that the Babylonians were. They were storing up things for themselves. Think about the nicest cars, the nicest shoes. I want this big, comfortable house. I want this, this nice income. They want all these things so they can make a name for themselves. But newsflash, all that stuff, is that's what you're chasing. It's going to leave you abandoned. It's going to leave you horribly short. It's going to leave you empty. Because at that point, you're assuming a role that you were never created for. You were created to know God and make him known. Not to build this kingdom for yourself. We are to build his kingdom, not our own, church. So in a sense... What Babylonians want, what the, what the people in the Tower of Babel want, and what most teenagers want. If you got a teenager in the room, you know what I'm talking about. They want independence, but still getting all the benefits of the parents paying for everything, right? And if you got a kid that drives a car, you probably know what they're talking about. You got to pay that high gas price now, don't we? Got to, and what they were saying is the same thing we say, God, keep putting food on my table, but you can't tell me what to do. I want you to bless me, but not instruct me. That's the same thing many of us say in our lives, and man, that hits me to my heart. God, teach me, bless me, but do not instruct me. Mm. Well, I'm telling you something. When God blesses us, as we go up, we must go out. When I think of the cross and what Jesus came down to us and he died, and now we have a connection with our Savior, once we have that connection, what's the next part we're missing? We must go out horizontally and share his glory with everyone we come in contact with. Once we go up, we go out, church. God, we serve a sovereign God who created us on purpose for a purpose. In verse 5, I mean, not verse 5, go to verse 8 again. It says, so the Lord scattered them all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. And as we continue to read this story, we know that God's plan is to make his glory go all over the earth. The people, what did they say? They said, I don't want to be scattered. But God did it anyway because guess what? That's his, his plans are sovereign and his will is going to go forth. And to share a little bit more information with you guys, it says that he, he confused our languages. So now we know there are multiple languages that had just came from the Tower of Babel. But how many languages do you think were formed at the Tower of Babel? If you flip to Genesis chapter 10, it'll tell you the story that there were 70 to 72, 70 to 72 languages formed at the Tower of Babel. And we know that because it gives us a tablet of nations in Genesis chapter 10. But I want you to remember that number 70 to 72 because it's going to come back up in this sermon. Because God, it's almost like God wrote this Bible and it all connects, doesn't it? So let's keep reading. Let's keep going on. Connection Church, I want to show you something through this passage. That God's will will be done with or without us. His will will be done with or without connection, church. There will be, a, there will be somebody from every tribe, every nation at the throne. He's going to use us whether we are obedient or not. He's going to use somebody else if we don't. So don't let God, I don't want God to raise up somebody else to do the job that we were created to do. Like, God, if I see somebody who's lost that doesn't know Jesus, and I know God tells me to speak to this person, and God is sovereign, he knows if this person is going to be saved or not. But if I'm supposed to be the one to share the gospel with him, and I chicken out and doesn't do it, God's going to raise somebody up. But my prayer is that we don't have to have somebody else do the job that God created us to do. The Bible says that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What are those good works that we're created to do? To go and share the gospel, to go and make disciples. And the Bible says in John 15, if you abide in the vine, you will bear much fruit. The fruit that's being bears, disciples that are being made. Spreading his glory. Extend, join my grace, extend my glory. Now let's go on to point number two. Let's talk about the story. Let's look at Genesis chapter 12. It'll be on the screen. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says, And the Lord said to Abram, later you'll know him as Abraham, it says, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. And it says, and I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. 
He says, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And listen to this right here. It says, and all peoples, or you can put nations right there, all nations on earth will be blessed through you. Now, many people think when they see the Great Commission, they say, well, the Great Commission was Matthew 28. But I'm here to show you here, this is the first time the Great Commission was actually given. Let's look at the text. I'm blessing you to be a blessing to the nations. This is the great commission that he's given to Abraham, all right? I'm blessing you to therefore bless the nations. And I want to know something. He says all peoples will be blessed through you. That means everybody, not just our own distinct people group, but no, all peoples will be blessed through you. And there's something else I want to point out in this passage, but it's yet powerful, that word all. The gospel message, when it comes to us, guess what, folks? We don't keep it to ourselves. It comes to us, through us, on the way to somebody else. How horrible would I be if I had the good news of the, the cure for cancer and I held it to myself? You would think I was a horrible person, wouldn't you? If I had a cure for COVID-22 or COVID-19, whatever it is that it keeps going on, if I had a cure for it and I never told you, you would think I was evil. But what if I got the cure to keep someone eternity from being separated from God? How bad do you got to hate somebody not to share the gospel with them? Mm. But I'm going to point out something in this passage. How are we blessing people? How is God going to bless people through Abraham? Like, so he says, I'm blessing you to be a blessing, but how is he going to bless them through Abraham? And the answer is Jesus. Jesus is that key. Because through some, a line of great, 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 I don't know how many they are, Jesus will be the seed of Abraham that will be the one that will die on the cross to bring the nations back to his father so we can glorify him. That's how he's blessing the nations, right? That's, how we're, that's why he's our father, because now we guess what? Because we're children of God and we come into that family. But I love the word all because he's telling Abraham, I want you to go to everybody because he'd know the tendency of Abraham, just like everybody else, to just know that if I told you to go and make disciples, you're only going to go to people that you're comfortable around. But I'm here to tell you something. Sometimes, church, we have to, we, we insulate ourselves with our tribe of Christians, if that makes sense. We like to surround ourselves with, 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 only, with only like the, the, the Christian people. You drive Christian cars. I heard a pastor say sometime a Christian car is a, is a Ford. I think that's trash. But we like to surround ourselves with nothing but Christian people. But I'm here to tell you something today. If you only surround yourself with that and you don't step out and go and engage the lost people, we won't see people come to faith in Christ. God's will is that, that none will perish but all will come to repentance. How will they come to repentance if we surround ourselves with nothing but Christians? When I look at what Jesus did, he said he came to seek and save the lost. We have to get outside of our, our tribe of Christians and begin to go outside these walls and now engage a community that doesn't know Jesus yet. I had a buddy of mine this past week, and he got saved. And this joker is one of them guys where I think every one of you would tell your kids not to hang out with this guy. You know, if somebody asked me should they date him, I would have told him no. I just remember him being football. I remember him being crazy. He come from a family that, that Jesus wouldn't really lift it up high. And he's one of them guys that you would never, 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 never thought he would have gave his life to Christ. Well, this past two weeks ago, his daddy was in the hospital, and his mama called my buddy Jamie Kraft, and he called me and said, hey, I need you to go to the hospital with me and talk with these guys. He said, his mama called me, and I said, man, I know him. I know him very well. I said, I'll go talk to him with you. So we went to that doctor's office. I went to the hospital, and his daddy's dying, and we thought he was dying, and his son is sitting right there next to him. And I began to try to, my buddy tried to share the gospel before, but the daddy shut it off quick. He didn't want to hear it. But when I came in the room, I just, you could just, you know when somebody's shut off to a message that you're trying to speak to him. So I began to speak with the, the daddy, and he didn't really care much about what I was talking about, but I knew the son did. There was something there, and I could feel it. And as I began to share the gospel with his son, the son just began to weep. And I knew, I said, man, God is working on this boy, you know. But he didn't make a decision that day, and I believe it was because his daddy was sitting there. But the crazy thing is, is that he eventually joined a small group at our church. And as he joined that small group, this boy is searching. When they got done with small group, they go to asking the next steps, and it gets to him, and guess what the first thing he says? He said, man, I just know what's going on. I can just feel it. He said, I need to make a decision. I want to get saved. And that boy got saved, that small group. But that's the same guy that people would have said, don't hang out with him. Don't go find him. You don't do anything with him because he's such a terrible person. But now we see him coming to faith in Christ and let you know that the gospel is truly for everybody. Everybody in this community. Every nation that doesn't look like us that's represented in Savannah, Georgia, guess what? God wants a relationship with them, and he wants to use us to go reach these people. So God was specific. He said, I want you to reach all people. I want you to reach every distinct people group on the face of the earth. So that sounded like the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission that we got given in Matthew 28 that Jesus gave. So it sounded to me when Jesus came and gave the Great Commission, it was a great recommission, not the Great Commission. 
He was just restating what all he was saying in the Old Testament. And I want to hear tell you something today that all of human history has been moving towards the completion of one mission. Let's look at the evidence. People say, well, AJ, how is the Great Commission going to be accomplished? You got 7,000 plus people groups, some with a billion people in them that doesn't know who Jesus is. How are we supposed to reach all these people? How are the resources even available? Let's look at Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. It says, and after the, it says, after this, the Lord appointed, how many? 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was going about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Go, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. So you remember that number 72 right there? That's big. I wonder why Jesus sent out 72 disciples. Because he's probably telling you that the Great Commission was accomplishable then, and it's even more accomplishable now. We got 300 million churches all over the world today. If you look at the unreached people groups that don't know Jesus yet, being 2% or less classified as Christian, the churches outnumber the unreached people groups 419 to 1. So church, what are we doing? Why aren't we going? When he commanded us to do that, why aren't we going to the nations? The nations are crying out. The Bible says they're like sheep harassed without a shepherd, and Jesus had compassion on them. We got to be a people that we're passionate about the same thing that God is passionate about. And what is God passionate about? He's passionate about going to the nations. And for time purposes, man, I can't, I can go deep off with this, but we got, we got to keep moving. But I want to let you know this passage is hard to preach because it's very hard to pick out which verses to actually share in a, in a one hour, in a 45-minute sermon. Because there are 400 mentions of nations in the Bible. There are over so many mentions of God telling us to go, to go, to go. Even in the resurrection story, since we know Easter's fresh on all of our minds, when Jesus finds Mary, what's the first thing he tells Mary to do? He tells her to go. And the beautiful thing about that is, is in that, in that culture that women didn't have a, they had no place in the, in, in, they had no weight. Their testimony carried no weight in court. All they had to do was make babies and stay at home and take care of the houses. All they had to do. And the first thing that God, t- Jesus told her to do, he wasted four seconds, all four seconds to tell Mary to go and tell the disciples I rose from the dead. So the first missionary, the first preacher, the first herald of, the herald of good news was a woman. And then now he gets to, to the disciples, and what does he say? As the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. Jesus is taking no time to tell them what their purpose is. That's awesome, ain't it, church? Now let's look at the Great Commission, or as we know, the Great Recommission. Matthew 28, 16 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee in a mountain where Jesus had told them to go. He says, When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of the nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And this is a beautiful passage right here. It says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So I'm reading this passage just to give you a little context. This is one of the last things Jesus told his disciples before he descended into heaven. He commands them to go and make disciples of the nations, which is what you know as the Great Commission, right? And it's not just for telling our neighbors. It's for telling the nations. And so many times you hear this preach, people say, you need to go and make disciples. You need to go do this. You need to be a missionary in your own context. You need to make disciples. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying it's incomplete. He says, go to the nations. And so today, church, my heart, my prayer for you guys is to see God's story, a story of of God redeeming the nations to himself. And if you read this passage, I believe God gives us three things we are commanded to do in this passage. And if we do do these things that God has commanded us, you will find a life that is fulfilling, I promise you. When you see someone like my buddy who didn't know who Jesus was and somebody was faithful enough to go and try to share the gospel to him in the hospital and he comes to faith in Christ, that's the most exciting thing you can participate in. Because one day that boy will be lifting his hands up, worshiping God for all of eternity. And I always tell people sometimes, I'm going off on a rabbit trail now, why do we lift our hands in worship sometimes? I used to be a police officer, so I love to see people's hands raised. But here's the deal. I tell people, I said, I'm a guy that's been rescued from much. Porn addiction, I almost lost my marriage. All these things started happening, and I, and I, had, I had a bad police call one time, and, I, and the guy got ran over, and it wasn't my fault, and I had a whole community of people against me making threats on my family. I had all those things, and the only person that got me through those things were, were, were the power of Jesus Christ and reading, getting on my knees and crying out to him in prayer. That's what sustained me during that time. So when I tell people sometimes, well, I got my hands raised, not worse, because I'm surrendering my all to Jesus. 
because Jesus has rescued me. He has saved me. He has redeemed me. I said, I tell my students in ministry, I said, when I get out of a patrol car, and sometimes people jump out the car on me. I'm not a deputy anymore. I quit two years ago. But when I used to pull people over and they jump out that car, the first thing I do is pull my gun out. Let me see your hands. And why do I want to see his hands? Because he's showing me he surrender. Yeah. If I'm feeling froggy enough, I say, get on your knees. And he takes the water of them palms. He puts them on his knees. He puts them on the ground as he's on his knees. To me, that is a posture of surrender. So when I'm worshiping in church or when I tell my students we're worshiping, I say, stop worrying who's looking at you. Don't worry who's sitting to your left, who's sitting to your right. I say, but you need to focus on you and God right now and, and, and tell God to open your heart so you can be ready to hear what is about to be preached. So we need to get to a place where we are surrendering everything to him and not worrying about what this community thinks about us, not worrying about if I'm going to offend somebody with the message of the gospel, not forgetting that if that person doesn't hear, he's probably going to spend eternity separated from God. So let's look at this passage and let's begin to look at what are the three things that God told us to do. The first thing he tells us to do is go. Simple. G-O. Go. And that means to meet people where they are and literally share the gospel with them. That means as you are going throughout life, that you are intentionally going to, to look for people to build relationships with for the intention of sharing the gospel with. We say it simply at Connection Church Dublin. It is doing everyday things with gospel intentionality. Everyday things with gospel intentionality. I heard Matt Chandler say it before. He says, if I'm going to the gym... And I begin to see this dude that I keep seeing every other day, that I see him on a regular basis. He said, I'm probably going to start easing my way in there so I can build a friendship with him. So eventually I can get to a place where I can share the gospel with him. That's what that looks like. In your workplaces, doing the same exact thing. Intentionally building, having proximity to lost people. When I say have proximity to lost people, I'm not telling you to go to the bar and get drunk with them. But I'm telling you to, to not participate in the sin they're participating in, therefore validating what they're already doing. No, I'm telling you to, to weasel your way in and build a friendship where he can trust you and you can love him. And don't beat him with scripture the first time you meet him. Just have fun with him. Take him to the gym. Eat, drink coffee with him. Just be a normal person because Christians make stuff weird so many times. Just be normal. And by you loving that guy, meeting him where he's at, that, that, it opened that door to you sharing the gospel with him. Because I'm telling you, if you begin to pray, and this is God's will that none will be lost, but all will come to repentance, and you pray for God to give you that open door, that God, as I'm talking to this guy, would you reveal to him, would you open that door so I can share the good news of the gospel and watch my God be faithful? The second thing he's given us in this passage is to go baptize. So as we go, now we baptize. That means that we, we celebrate the public declaration of their baptism, of their salvation. Right? We say it simply at Connection Church. It's an outward profession of an inward transformation of what Jesus Christ has done into your heart. I have students all the time tell me when they get saved, they say, well, AJ, I want to pray about getting baptized. I say, well, honey, I say, that's the one thing you don't got to pray about. I said, the Bible makes it clear. It's the first step of obedience after you give your life to Christ. I said, it's the one thing you don't have to pray about. Ain't that awesome? And then lastly, we're commanded to do something else. We're commanded to teach. We're commanded to teach, church. We are commanded to teach. We have to teach new believers how to obey Jesus. We have to teach them how to be a healthy follower of Jesus. We have to teach them how to be a disciple. And we have to do that in every context that we come in contact with. We're not about just, if one thing I know at Connection Church, we're not about just making converts. We want to make disciples. We're not about just making Christians. We want to make disciples. I tell people all the time, every, every disciple is a Christian, but not every Christian is a disciple. I don't want us to be a church of people that get into heaven by the skin of their teeth. No, we got things we have to do, church. And when you say yes to Jesus, when you say yes to the Great Commission, I want you to understand this is what you're commanded. As we said before, this is not a suggestion but a command. And once you come into this family of believers, guess what? Now you're just being stepped into the part of the family business. You do what you were created to do, and that's share people about Jesus. And sometimes I have people ask me, they say, AJ, how do you share the gospel? Because my gifting, I, I, um, my gifting is is evangelism. So I love going out and, and witnessing the people and sharing the gospel. And people ask me all the time, they say, AJ, well, how, how do you share the gospel? I was like, man, there are books written how you can evangelize. There are people, I know our church preached a sermon series called The Game Plan, showing people how to, take a, how to go from nothing to sharing the gospel. But let me ask you a question. Do I really have to, if you love Jesus, do I really have to teach you how to share the gospel? And the one, the, the example I've heard that, 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 that resonated with me was, just listen to this illustration. When you go to a nursing home and you talk to old folks, I say well-seasoned people. I don't say old people. When you talk to older people, what is one thing they always talk about? 
They talk about our grandkids. My mother-in-law and father-in-law, they love my kids. They know everything about my kids. They know their shoe size, their eye color. They know if they got a unibrow. They know what food they like. They know everything about my kids. And they can go out in the community and tell anybody about my kids. Let me ask you a question. Who has taught them how to share about their grandkids? Nobody. They know because they have been spending intimate time with, their Lord, with, with my grandkids. So now let's transition to us as believers. If we're spending intimate time with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, does anybody got to tell me how to share about somebody I already love? No, you're going to do it naturally because that's what you've been spending time with. So we have to get to a place where we spend time with our Savior. So you might be asking, AJ, what are you asking me to do? You're talking about the mission. You're talking about the Great Commission. What are you asking me to do? What is my next step in God's story? So I believe that as a believer, we should all be global Christians, global disciples, not just someone that's a Christian in our content. We should all have a global mindset. So I believe there are five ways that a Christian can engage globally right where you sit. Well, one of four ways, but there's five of them. First one is to be a goer. That, and that's simply stated, people that go and, and sell, their, sell their things and they go and they live their life out. They put their yes on the table and they go and say, God, I'm going to the world that doesn't know about you yet. And the second way to be a global Christian is to be a sender. And because Connection Church is a sending church, and if you give financially to any of our churches, especially in the Connection Church Network, we're about sending out church planners. And now as, as we speak, we are working on an international church planning track so we can do the same thing we have here in another country. So we can see people impacted with the, with the good news of Jesus. And our, and, our, and our mindset is we want to send a rifle bullet into a nation that has no access, zero. Don't know who Jesus is. Don't know anything. Next one, you can be a mobilizer. This is what I feel like I've been called to do. And what a mobilizer is, is that you equip people so you can tell other people about the story. So I want to equip you guys to be able to teach and, and teach people about the story that God's trying to do. Because here's the deal. Like I said before, churches of movement. And a mobilizer moves, moves people, doesn't it? So we should be a church that's moving towards seeing the Great Commission accomplished. And lastly, uh, and number four, we have intercessor. And what intercessor is is simply praying for the nations. I had an opportunity to, 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 to have a guy ask me for this one time. I, was, I went to uh, Northern Africa to visit one of our missionaries that we support through the network. That's actually from Connection Church Vidalia. And we went to go visit them, and we was hanging out with some of the North African believers that are there. And for security purposes, I can't mention their name or the believer's name because they're very heavily persecuted, persecuted in a Muslim country, Arabic-speaking Muslim, Muslim country. So I'm asking this guy, I said, man, let me ask you a question. I says, we are so far away, and, and I only got uh, seven days, to six days to hang out with you, man. I said, what can we do from back home that will help you guys? If it's sending money, hey, let me know. Give me your, your, your wire, I'll send you whatever. If it's sending supplies, I said, what can we do? And he gave me this example. And he spoke in very, very broken English because he was telling me, he's like, AJ, he said, you know, in the battle, he said, when two people are fighting, he said, where's the battle of the fiercest? He says, fiercest on the front line. He said, but whenever you go to battle, he said, there is somebody, there's always a group of people hanging back with a bow, and he couldn't get, he couldn't say, he kept saying, they got a bow, they got a bow, and he says, I said, an arrow. He says, of course. He said, there are people that are on the back line standing with their bow and arrow ready to send support to the front lines. He says, that's what your prayers do for us. He says, when you are praying for us, you are sending us support to the front line where the battles are fiercest. He says, so more than anything you can send, he says, I need your prayers. So something we can do right here, right now is pray for our missionaries. We can pray for God to give Connection Church an inheritance in the nations so that there will be a church planet in a place that has zero access to the gospel. That's what we can begin to do from right here, right now. And then lastly, there's a welcomer. And what that is, is welcoming nations that are here in our context into our homes. Because this is Savannah, Georgia. Y'all live on the coast. Guess what? There are, and y'all got a military base. There are many, 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 many nations coming to y'all city. A whole lot more than we got in Dublin. So what are we doing to, to, to invite these nations back home into our home that are here into our home? And I got another example of this. The missionary I met at Engage Global, he wasn't here the last time you went, but the missionary that I met, his name was Dan. Dan came home on a home assignment. And as he's home on his home assignment, he's living in his apartment complex, and there's this Indian guy living next door to him. And, he, and him being a guy that wants to go out and build an intentional relationship with people and invite these people into their home, he asked this guy to come into his home and have dinner with him. So he goes and he invites this guy. This guy comes in and he has dinner with him. Awesome. Two days later, this guy shows back up at his house and he is crying. 
He says, I have been here 11 years. This is the first time in my life that an American has invited me into their home. 90% of, 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 of students studying abroad will never step foot in an American home. But we're told to reach the nations, right? And if it's almost like God saying that, and God has his ways of saying, if you're not going to go to them, I'm going to send them to you. So he's sending people here. There, there's, a, there's a whole community of people in Clarkston, called, outside of Atlanta called Clarkston. They have 180 different people groups represented in this city in Clarkston. And all of them are refugees. 40,000 refugees living in one city. They said they took a census and only 1,500 registered voters were in that city. The rest of them were refugees. And out of those 180, 90 of them are coming from countries with zero access to the gospel. From Somalia, from the Congo, from all these places living in Georgia. Just from Dublin, that's two hours down the road. So if the nations are here, what are we doing to go get them? It's like, like I said, God's saying, you're not going to them, but I'm sending them to you. So how are we going to welcome the nations that are living here in Savannah into our homes, church? I, look, church, our prayer this Easter season was for our church to, to see so that they will believe, right? To see Christ rightly so they will believe. But as we go and we talk about this mandate that was given to us, my prayer is that we will go so that they will know. Who is the they that I'm talking about? It's the sheep without a shepherd that Jesus said they were harassed and he had compassion for. That's what I'm talking about. Will we go so that the nations will know? Church, we got to be proactive and not reactive. So many times we're waiting for missionaries to be raised up. But my prayer every day for our churches is that, God, we will be a people that will raise up missionaries and send them out. Where we will be a people that will raise up the a people that are fired by the things of God and we will send them out. Because what I've learned is that the church is God's plan A to reach the world and there is no plan B. The Bible says there's a way you can speed the coming of Christ. And the way you speed the coming of Christ is that we got to go and we have to tell people about the good news of Jesus. People say, well, I'm ready for God to come back. Yeah, I was like, well, how when you got 7,000 plus people groups that don't know him yet? And the Bible says when we get into the conclusion, and I don't want to jump ahead, we'll go ahead and get into the last point. Point three is the conclusion. And my pastor tells me all the time that, AJ, we should live with the end in mind. Every single one of us needs to live our life with this end in mind. And what is this end in mind of the picture we're talking about? Y'all know about the book of Revelation. You know, John was banished on the island of Patmos, and God gave him a prophecy and a vision of what he will see in the end times and what he will see when he looks into heaven. So look at Revelation 7, 9. Let's see what this verse says. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, every tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You want to know what God's will is. You want to know what he's moving towards, what his mission is to see the earth filled with his glory, that every nation, every tribe will be at the throne. Can you imagine that church? Every, all his creations and their languages and all those things crying out, praising God for all of eternity and to a holy God that created everything. Can you imagine how beautiful that picture would be? Mm, wouldn't that be awesome, church? Every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Church, we are the church and we exist for the world. So that they will be at the throne when they worship in God. So if we're worried about God coming back and the sooner Jesus comes back, well, then we need to be working towards seeing what that's going to look like and going and getting these people who had not represented in heaven yet. Yeah. Oh, man, can you imagine, church? But I want to tell you something today. We exist to give God glory. And one thing I want to talk about before we close is we exist to give God the greatest glory. Not just give him glory, but I say give it the greatest glory. And you may be asking me, say, AJ, what do you mean by giving God the greatest glory? Let me, let me walk you through an illustration. If I have a church full of middle-class white folk and we're worshiping God in spirit and truth, is God getting glory? Yes, he is. I grew up hardcore Pentecostal in a black church. We worship in a lot, a lot more spirit and a lot of truth, but we're going to have another thing. So what if that church is worshiping God, that black, middle-class black church is worshiping God in spirit and in truth, will God be getting glory? Yes, he would. But what if I put them both in the same room and we begin to worship God in spirit and in truth? I believe we'll be giving God greater glory then. But let's go a step further. What if every nation that is in Savannah, Georgia, is in the same place worshiping God in spirit and in truth, then I will believe we'll be giving God the greatest glory. Church, we got to move, church. That's the picture of what heaven looks like. Why do we have to wait to get to heaven to see every tribe, language, and tongue at the throne? We can do it right here, right now. We can do that right here and right now. We don't have to wait, church. This is what God's church is going to look like. So can you imagine 
a room filled with believers from every nation. I remember when Engage Global, I keep talking about this place, this is a mission conference up in, up in Minnesota. They took it to this multi-ethnic church, a truly multi-ethnic church, not just black and whites, but you had folks from Africa, you had folks from China in there, you had a lot of folks in there. And one thing they would do is that they would sing every line of a worship song in the language that's represented in their church. So we were singing one line in Swahili. We came back and sung one in, in Chinese, and one of the lines was, Ja, Ja, Bing, Ja, 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 Ho, Know what he said, but the boys was, was riding with it. It sounded good. Then you had the African brothers in the corner, Millie Whopping in the corner, and they was like, and they were dancing. I was like, that was my boys over there, you know? But they were worshiping to a language they didn't even know, but it was so beautiful. And I was like, man, ain't that a true picture of what heaven's going to look like to, to hear those languages? When I was in Northern Africa and this, this, this Northern African believer prayed over me, I ain't know what the heck he said, but I know it sounded good, though. He was praying over me, and I couldn't, I thought it, was, it sounded like legit tongues to me. But as he prayed over me, I was like, man, that is beautiful. But that was another believer that we connected with because he had the Holy Spirit. And he lets you know that the gospel truly is for everybody. But just to finish up here, and I call the worship team back up, and just be transparent with you guys. You know, I got a glimpse about five years ago. I got a glimpse of God's story, and it changed my life. My, I, I, I was saved at 15, didn't start following Jesus until I was 26 years old. My pastor sat me down and began to disciple me. In the community I grew up in, discipleship wasn't a big thing. It was all about butt-tap discipleship, I call it. Get saved, good luck. Go read your Bible a little bit and pray. That's what I grew up in. So I had a guy meet me where I was at. And I began to struggle in all kinds of sin as I played football at Georgia Southern, hanging out with my buddies. And I tell people, you're going to be an average of five of your best friends. Five of your best friends smoke dope. Guess what you're going to do? You're probably going to smoke dope. Five of your best friends uh, uh, like to grill steak. When you get together on a weekend, you're probably going to grill steak. I said, but what if five of your best friends love Jesus? Well, I didn't have that in my life. So I started meeting with my pastor, and then he started showing me these things. He took me to this conference, and I began to see a global picture of what God has been doing. I wasn't looking at God through a, micro, a, 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 a microscope anymore, but I began to see the big picture of what God has been doing throughout all of Scripture. And this, that, that mission alone began to captivate me, and I was so frustrated because I said, well, how am I 26 years old, and my Savior has commanded me to make disciples, and not a single disciple was made? 26 years old, I never shared my faith with nobody. And that began to drive me. Then I began to see the mission of the people that doesn't know about Jesus yet. And God began to ignite my heart on fire because someone discipled me to see these things. And then I became, and what I'm convicted about sometimes is I'm trying to guilt people into going on mission. I know when I went to Africa, I, I, had, a, I had a picture of these thousands and thousands upon thousands of graves. One of the missionaries took me to a, a hilltop, man. And I, can't, I can tell you, it makes me cry thinking about it, the feeling I had when I sat on that mountaintop. I get on this mountain, and I look around me, and there are graves everywhere. That, I mean, as far as the eye could see, great. It, some, it was so far in the distance, you, look, you thought it was a road. But if you zoomed in on, on some binoculars or anything, you see they were spaced out because there were little graves sitting side by side. And as you look at those graves, there were, there were multiple names written on one grave. Because in this city, you can bury four people in the same hole. Every eight years, you can bury another person in the same hole. So imagine that picture of thousands upon thousands of graves. And then uh, most part of that time is four. And I remember the heaviness and the, that, the darkness that I felt in that moment. And you knew that they were Muslim believers when they died because of what they wrote on the gravestone. They had it written in, in green Arabic writing with gold, litter, gold glitter in it. And that shows you that they were a Muslim believer when they died. So what I saw in that moment was a monument to people that are spending eternity in hell. And it was that message right there, that picture right there that began to drive me. It was like, God, I cannot stand for that. Because the same eternity that will be doomed upon our kids if they don't know Jesus. And how much uh, as parents, we want our kids to know who Jesus is because we want them to, to experience the goodness of God and be with him for all of eternity. But they don't have that yet. Don't even know his name. I was like, God, we got to do something, church. But here's the deal. We have to learn how to worship. Because it's going to be that worship that drives us in our everyday life. We're going to have to, it's going to be that worship that pushes us to share the gospel with people that don't know us yet. The verse Romans 5.8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And for someone who's been rescued from much, <laughs> that's a good news. That's very good news that while I was a sinner, my Christ died for me. While I was a sinner, he took those weapons on his back for me. So you mean to tell me I can't give my life, I can't surrender my life to him and, and put all this foolishness away and say, God, I want to follow you and listen to what you said because you saved me from eternity separated from God. You saved me. But I'm going to tell you something about those missions, though. We keep talking about missions. I want to tell you something, church. Missions exist because worship doesn't. 
So if we're not learning how to worship, if that message doesn't drive us to our knees, I need you to go, I need you to pick up your Bible and read the gospel message. And if you don't see it the second, first time, read it again and read it over and over and over until you, be, you become captivated by the good news of the, of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We're all looking for a hero to our story. I'm here to tell you something. Jesus is the hero to your story today. So maybe some of you in here today don't know who Jesus is yet. You're saying, AJ, you talking about sharing the gospel with people. Heck, I don't even know who Jesus is yet. I ain't giving my life to him. I'm here to tell you something. You ain't going to be able to tell nobody about a God you don't know. But it's beautiful that you are here today. Because the fact that you are sitting in these seats is evidence that God has grace for you. God has mercy for you. And God wants to, to have a relationship with you. The Christian life is, is, is not about taking a million steps. It's about taking your next one. And for some of you in this room today, maybe your next step is to give your life to Christ. So right now, I need every head bowed, every eye closed. So some people may ask, I said, well, AJ, you keep talking about the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel. Well, what's the good news? And I tell people, to understand the good news, you must understand the bad news first. So what's the bad news? The bad news is that you are born into sin. It's this sin that has separated you from a holy God. But the Bible says in Ephesians that God who's rich in mercy made us alive in Christ because he sent his son Jesus to die for us. If you've never made a decision today to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you feel something right now working on your heart, I'm here to tell you that that's God's Holy Spirit. He's wanting you to be his own. He's wanting to call you son. He's wanting to call you daughter. So if you're in this room today and you feel that Holy Spirit working on your heart, know that God is drawing you to himself. The Bible says that nobody can come to the Father and nobody can come to me unless the Father draws them. And what you're experiencing right now is God drawing you to himself. So with every head, every eye closed, if that's you in here today and you want to know who Jesus Christ is, you want to give your life to him and make him Lord and Savior of your life, would you lift your hand? For the rest of us, what's our next step? For some of us, our next step may be coming at this altar as they sing this last song and repenting of sin that's keeping me back from making an impact on the kingdom of God. Maybe for some of us, it's to, to take that next step and invite your friend to church. Maybe for some, it's to take that next step and plant a small group, multiply that small group. Whatever your next step is, I pray that you pr come down here today and you pray for God to give you the boldness to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Church, will we pray, will we send, and will we go? Dear Heavenly Father, God, I just come to you right now to say thank you. God, I just thank you for, for what you're doing right now, God. I can just feel your presence in this room right now, God. God, I pray that this message would not be just a message that people will walk and say, man, that was a good message. But no, God, they will take this message and actually leave these doors and do something with it. That, God, it will be a people that are fired up by the things that you're fired up about, Father God. God, that, that, that you will put whoever that one person is on our people's hearts right now, God, that you will give them a supernatural courage, God, a supernatural boldness, God, to go and share the good news with them, God. Because, God, we know the first step is to do is just bow on our knees in prayer. So, I, God, I pray that as those, our people pray for them, God, that you will hear their prayers. They will pierce through the darkness that this world sits in. But, God, I just thank you for the day and, 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 and what you're doing right now, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.